Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Thank you all for being here this morning. Uh, the second service, kind of nice off season. It's kind of nice, really chill, quiet. Leaves are still in the trees here. It's October 24th, crazy, at least on some of the trees, but amazing. So welcome online, folks. Thanks for tuning in. We will be in Revelation chapter 3, starting verse 14. We're finishing up the seven letters to the churches. We're looking at the church to the, to the letter to the church of the Laodiceans this morning. And uh, hope you'll continue to journey with us. Starting next week, we will be getting into the bulk center of Revelation. We're going to vamp it up and get ready for the ride. And I uh, hope you'll read ahead, chapter 4. Be ready. And uh, we're, as I said I, before, I'll be taking some interludes throughout this to just kind of break down some, some theology and understanding so we have better lens to understand this incredible prophecy that comes with a promise, right? May we not forget what it says. Blessed is the one who reads uh, the words aloud of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And uh, so that's what we're longing for, is that blessing. Uh, and to get our arms around this book that a lot of keep people, a lot of people keep away right from this book for a lot of reasons, and so we're going to dive in. Hopefully, give you some handles to have confidence in this book and hold on to the main things um, of this word, and and to be able to have our ears opened up to what God is saying to us, especially in this um, this time that, that we're in. Now, another thing before we get in here, I want to just say is I know that this is big stuff. Revelation is hardcore stuff that we're getting into. Um, but it should not, it, it should bolster our hope. It should bolster our joy. Uh, it should not be a downer. And so if this at all study is a downer for you is, boy, we'd love to talk to you about why that is. Is this should be everything about bolstering hope. We should be able to deal with the big issues, the realities of evil and where the world is going and everything else. And have our faith, right? God calls us to have our faith and joy, right? Rise, right? At the same time. Here's where the problem comes. The problem comes if my hope is in this world. Guess what? This book is going to be, is going to rock my world. I'm going to say it again. If my hope is in this world and anything this world has to offer, this book is going to rock my world. And the gospel and what God calls us to is hope is only found in him and in what he offers us. Not in this world. It's passing away, as we'll see. And the Lord knows it's, it, everything is going on now, right? Um, our hope is in him. He promises to renew. He starts with individuals. That's why the church is on mission, bring the love and grace of Christ to, um, to the world. And, uh, and he renews us, makes us a new creation. And then he's going to branch out, as we'll see, as we move in this study, and make all things new in this, in this creation. And we're to live in this world, but not be of the world. We're to be in this world and be the lights. So you said, you're the light of the world. And you're going to shine brighter when it's darker out there. And the hope should be rising up in us, right, to be that light. So with that said, let me just throw out this question this morning as we dive in here. But how is your heart with Jesus? Where is your heart with Jesus? Now, how do we answer that question? We all struggle, I think, to share our emotions, share what's going on on the inside, um, some more than others, obviously. But there should be no more important question that we should be diving in with each other on is, man, how are you doing? With, how's your heart doing? How's your soul doing? 
Where are you at with Jesus? Um, What's happening? You leaning into him or are you fading away? Um, And so this morning we're going to look at uh, Laodicea and this idea of mild approval, which is lukewarmness or loving adoration. And so I just kind of picture a spectrum up here. On one end of that spectrum is mild approval, lukewarm faith. The other end of the spectrum is loving adoration for Jesus. Where are you at on that? Where would you put yourself? Where would you put yourself this morning? Because one thing's for sure, every one of us is trending one way or the other, right? We're trending towards mild approval, lukewarmness when it comes to Jesus, or we're trending towards loving adoration. And the key factor in that movement is this issue of how dependent are we on the Lord? How dependent are we really on the Lord? And I ask you that this morning. How dependent on Jesus are you? How dependent are we? What do you depend on him for? Now, folks, this is tough stuff for us, and this is right where this letter is going, to a church that says, we're rich, we got it all, life's good. We don't need God. We're just, oh, Jesus is great. We're doing church. This letter's written to Christ, a Christian church that just got self-sufficient, that lost its dependency on God, lost its love and its, its, its understanding that, that every breath I breathe, you realize that every breath right now, your heart could stop right now. You have no control over that for the most part. You realize that that little baby we saw, you had nothing to do with your identity. Nothing. Nothing to do with your DNA. Nothing to do with your heritage. Nothing to do choosing your parents. At all. Why do we think we get in this life and just like Laodiceans, we forget. Lord. And I think of even grace. Where is is table, where is thanking the Lord for the meal in our table gone? We're like the Laodiceans. When was the last time you depended on God for food or water? When was the last time that you absolutely had to, Lord, you gotta show up. We need some food. We, we don't, we don't, we have to fight for this, right? Because everything around us, look at the commercials. Look at what is being pumped in your head through media and everything else is self-sufficiency, financial independence, independence. You can do this, all this huddle up and, and get life and control life and, and make life safe. That is every bit of what is being, just look at financial commercials. Just look at commercials with a godly lens, Right? There is everything in there saying, lean into the world, depend on the world, depend on yourself. You don't need God. You got this. As long as that trending line on your retirement savings plan is trending in the right direction, you're good. Don't need anything. All's well, right? And um, folks, it's a pretty harsh thing to sit back, and I just, I encourage you to do this. Sit back, take some real time. What do you really depend on the Lord for today in your life? What do you plead for him for? A little side note here, uh, Brian and I were talking about this, but it's so true, right? Is, is why, why, why are the, the spiritual gifts resisted today? Simply because we think we don't need him. We think we can get by with our programs and our ch- doing church and our intellect and our theology. Oh, we, we, that's kind of scary. We don't need the supernatural power of God working among us. It reveals everything about me and the church if I say, if I'm not as Paul commanded us to pursue them, right? 
to say that I, I can get by. I can minister to people without your power. I, I can love on people. I can share Jesus. I don't need the, the spirit with, within me. I don't need that. That's a huge indicator. Are we asking, as Paul said, be filled every day. Go for it. Unless I'm filled, I'm not going to have the living water to give right to others. And if I resist anything of the Spirit, it's saying I'm self-sufficient. I don't need that. I don't need the move the power of God. I, don't need, I just need God to, you know, to do my thing that's comfortable here, right? And so it's more and more in our lives, Father. Um, when I think of our Father and what he's done for us. And so folks, I just say, restore grace to the table. Just simple things, Lord. Because every single one of us, when we sit down at lunch after this service, not in, n- none of us have had to sit down with that meal placed before us and had to really wrestle with, well, Lord, I, I'm dependent on that meal showing up. We live in a world, right, that has created the best we can where we don't need to radically depend on God. Every bit of social media, every bit of the noise coming our way is trying to sell us that in one way or another. So the letter to the Laodiceans, who he's getting onto them here for being lukewarm and just having mild approval. Of, of Jesus. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither hot, you're neither cold nor hot. Oh, would you, um, would that you were either cold or hot? So because you were lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I prospered, I need nothing not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And buy from me salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The word of God. All right, so what I'm going to do this morning, folks, is just run through um, these verses and uh, give you some questions. I hope you'll take these and wrestle with them this, ish, this week on this idea of, wow, Lord, am I growing in dependency on you, God? Um, or, or more mild approval, just, just lukewarm in my faith. First question is this, where do we find life and hope? It's kind of a big question. Everybody in here go, oh, Jesus. Really? Is that true? Is that your source of, of hope? Is, the, is Jesus truly the source of your, of your life and, and hope in your life? Um, I, uh, this, these words here, when he, Jesus says, I'm the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of God's creation, you're gonna write down chapter one, verse five is where that uh, partly flows from. 
Um, but also, just, just to step back quickly and give a large view of this, the beautiful theology is, is that before the creation, folks, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in perfect unity and harmony and love, they came together and they made a covenant with each other. And that covenant was a covenant of creation, the outpouring of their love. And you, who is on God's mind, Ephesians 1, before the foundation of the earth, the world, and God knew that to create you in his image with a free will, all of us, that we would run from him. That we all would be prodigals. And so we needed a solution. How am I going to adopt children into the family of God, a holy God? How is he going to have an eternal family that continually wants to run from him? And this is the history of redemption. And this is the third part of the Trinity, the Jesus who says, I'll go. I'll go after them. I'll redeem them. I'll be their savior, the Messiah. I will be the one who loves their soul and who, and the only way to bring them back to a place under the household of the father to receive the blessings of the inheritance of the father. The prodigals come home. That is the story of the gospel. That's why we preach it. That's what we should be living, calling the prodigals home. The father's arms are wide open. Will you run back into his arms and have life and have hope? The only source of life and hope. This week, um, I think it was in Forge, and I think it was Billy who brought it up, a wonderful passage, and I'll just give it to you to memorize. Romans 15, verse 13. Romans 15, verse 13. I don't have it on the screen, and this is what it says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound with hope. Wow, that's the expectation of the church. That's the expectation of God for us, is hope, abounding in hope. And let's just be all honest, we're struggling, aren't we? I think we all, we all admit we're struggling. So we need to pray that. Pray it over your children, pray it over your friends, pray it over uh, coworkers, right? Bring the power of that, Lord, I pray. God, the God of all hope, he may fill you with all joy, all peace in believing. And that word is the same word in the Greek for faith. In believing. So this comes by faith. And it just, I have to receive it. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that faith unleashes the power of the Spirit is that we may bound in hope. And remember, Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. We're to be abounding with hope, especially as times get confusing and tough. Abound with hope, church. And we come, we gather together. The reason why Jesus calls the church to regularly gather together is because, guess what? We need lifting up. We need encouragement. We need to, to be brought back to the word. We need to restore our hope in him and build each other up with a, a strong sense of hope, right? To understand where, again, the source of our life and our hope is all at. So I hope you'll take Romans 15, 13. It's been blessing me all week. Um, just, just let it, memorize it. Let it just sink in to your soul. And then give, let God, ask God to give you uh, someone to bless with that, to pray over with that, right? Make yourself available. How, you know what? God brings us alive as we make ourselves available to be vessels of light and hope to others, right? And uh, so... Take that. May it multiply his goodness. All right. Are we recognizing the sickness of lukewarmness? Uh, Look at this. I know your works, Jesus says. You are neither cold nor hot. And and folks, let me just say, it says in Hebrews that he knows every thought, every intention in our life. Why would you try to hide anything from him? 
Why would we live like we're trying to hide something from God? This is nothing new on their son. Go all back to Genesis. This is what Adam and Eve did. They tried to hide. Tried to hide their shame and their guilt from God. They went running and hiding. We, we all do it. But why do that? God knows. He knows every thought, every intention before him is that the only way to live free is to bring it to him and, and receive his forgiveness, his covering, his grace, his mercy. That's where freedom's lived is at. It's the only place that freedom ultimately, right, is at. So I know your works, he says to the church. You are neither cold nor hot. Oh, would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Yikes. For you say, I am rich. I prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Wow. So folks, how are we recognizing this, this sickness of lukewarmness, this sickness of, of just kind of lulling into mild approval of Jesus, just lulling into just, just a very you know, lukewarm Christianity? Uh, man, are we recognizing? So a couple things here. Um, just stepping back to Laodicea, just a little history. Laodicea was a part of three sister cities that were in close proximity. Heropolis was across the valley, and Heropolis was famous for its hot springs. Down the river, about 10 miles, was Coloss, and we have the book, uh, Paul wrote Colossians to that church, and then we have Laodicea. Um, Coloss was famous for its fresh, cold spring water. Heropolis was famous for its hot Healing waters. Laodicea had no natural source of water. And so the Romans came in and they brought aqueducts, moved water from the river and from these other seas into Laodicea. And guess what happened to the water by the time it got to Laodicea? Yeah, it was lukewarm. Matter of fact, they say it smelled and it was terrible. And so Jesus is again using uh, something that is absolutely you know, part of the identity of the city to wake up the church to a spiritual reality of what was really behind all of that. Now here's a little more history. Laodicea was famous for several things. One is that they were a huge financial center. They was a very rich city. Their, all their banks were solvent and healthy. Um, they were known for a special kind of black wool. They were the best dressed in all of Asia. Now that's serious. I'm not kidding. They were the, known as the best dressed in all of Asia. Thirdly, is that they were known for this powder and everything's a mine close by that would make med wonderful medicines. They were known for medical technology, especially an eye salve that would heal different eye things. You know, it was a dry climate, arid climate, and things like that. And all, Jesus pulls all these things in to bring a strong wake-up call message, right, to this church. They had lost their dependency on God. Listen to these words. I am rich. I don't need anything. Does it sound familiar? Right? And here's the sad thing, is that even for those that were not experiencing the financial blessings, the health, physical blessings, the clothes, the, you know, just have it all together kind of thing, is that they were longing for that. See, this is what happens with lukewarmness is we start longing slow shift towards 
I'm going to fill my life up. My life and hope is going to be found in the things of the world. That if I am, hey, if I'm making some money, if I, that, that's all I need. I just need to make some more money. I just need to, I just need to get a little, I need to be like some more of these people are in Aspen. I need, I need to do that. Or, hey, if I just get in shape and get my body together and, and have nice clothes or, uh, you know, amazing how much time we spend on these things, right? Or, or just medicine. Just go through all those categories and think about in our lives, how much time in those categories do we really depend on God for? None of us in here have ever had to depend on God for clothes. Right? No. You can go down here to the thrift shop right? or, or ask somebody, and that's how the church should work, right? Is provide. But think about it. You've never had to really think about it. But man, what am I going to wear? You know, except that, that whole conversation is out of the 20 things already in there. I, what am I going to wear? I need something new, right? So, um, and, and think about medicine, right? Or, or let's just think about finances. When it comes to finances, we're all rich, folks, right? I mean, maybe not in comparison to some of the people here, but in comparison to the world, we are wealthy, wealthy, the most affluent people that have ever walked on the face of the earth, historically. Just let that sink in. In light of this message, we are the most affluent people ever to walk on the face of the earth. Now, you might not feel affluent, but you are. If you drive a car, if you got a roof over your head, if you have money in the bank or whatever it may be, you, right, compared to the rest of the world, are affluent, right? And it just shows our, how screwed up our perspective is on contentment, right? But just think about how much time do we give thanks to God? As I said earlier, just around the dinner table, is there a genuine sense of when that food is put before us of just, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your provision and, and knowing that whether it's the money in the bank or, or, or being able to send your kids to college or whatever the issue is, Lord, thank you for your provision. It is not to sit back and just think, well, it's because my hard work or it's because I, I was privileged or whatever you want to say is, no, Lord, this is your hand. Everything in our lives, should, we should be overflowing with gratitude and with, Lord, let me be a good steward. Thank you, God. I, I am grateful. And just being a, 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 a heart that moves towards lukewarmness, loses thanksgiving, loses gratitude, moves towards entitlement, moves towards, I deserve it. And that's what the world says to you, doesn't it? Right? Is there anything out there on social media, anything, has anything ever, ever like, told you, I'd be thankful for what you got? It just goes against our consumer culture here, right? So on that idea of dependence, this is very interesting. Anybody ever read Jacques Ellul, the French sociologist? Okay, see, I got one. I got two, I think. All right, see, in Aspen, you never know. Everybody's going, who the heck is that? Anyway, uh, if you need some good deep reading, it's really awesome. Um, but he, uh, he wrote um, some really great stuff when it came to really critic, uh, being critical of technology's impact on society. And so this is, he went back and he just looked at the Bible, and he's Christian, and you go way all the way back to the beginning of the Bible and to show that the very idea of city building is a, an affront to God. Cain was the first person to build a city. He did it in rejection, running from God. Look at Babel, the Tower of Babel, and we can go on the rest of it throughout here. But city centers, by the very nature of it, is we're building this city center, right, to what? To elevate what man can do. What do you think, what do you think the spirit behind a skyscraper is? What do you think is going on in Dubai right now? What is the point of building a skyscraper taller than the next? 
It's nothing new under the sun. Same thing as the Tower of Babel. What do you think the idea of building a self-sufficient city is all about? The, the very heartbeat behind that is that man, all the way back to the Tower of Babel, is that we can be self-sufficient. We don't need God. And folks, historically, every bad, derivative, decadent thing that's ever hit mankind has flowed and been magnified out of cities, right? Because ultimately, in a city, right, is where we have this spirit of independence, right? And again, our valley here, right? As I said before, independence up here has started, and the other end of that is defiance. Those are the two city names that define this valley more than you'd ever realize, right? Is that we've come together, we don't need God, right? Now, folks, are inventions and things coming together are bad, or should we stop trying to do all that technology? No. But what's the heartbeat behind it? What is the whole motivation behind that technology, right? Is it to become more independent from God? Or where is the leaning in? And if, think about it. In an agrarian culture, is you got to depend on God every day. Every day. From multiple things. And so do you realize how far away you are, we are, from that? Do you realize how far removed we are from having to walk and talk with God in the very endeavors of our work? Now, Whatever your work is, that's what we need to recover. We need to recover. Lord, I'm depending on you today. I need wisdom. I'm going to bring you into this. And nothing I have here, no technology or whatever, right, is, is um, you know, I need you to bless it. I need you to protect it. I need you to work within it, right? But the very nature of man's cities and technology is with the whole premise, right, of living independently, self-sufficiency, away from dependence on God. So we need to evaluate our life. Folks, do you realize what social media is all about? Every bit of social media behind it is the lie. Ultimate at the very bottom of that is this lie that we can, through social media, create and, and solve the issue of loneliness and of, of the idea of really needing deep relationship. And all it does is create fake friendship. All it does is create fake superficial friendship and lets people off the hook from doing the hard work of relationship building. I'm going to say it again. Every bit of social media gets you off the hook with the lie that you can have friends and impact in life and gets you off the hook so you don't have to do the hard, hard work of building healthy relationships with people, right? Again, so I don't have to be dependent on God for my relationships, right? I can just click a follow or post something and think that, hey, I'm, I've got some impact going on or whatever it is, right? And so the last thing here on this section on the idea of are we recognizing the sickness? C.S. Lewis said this. This is strong. Listen to this. When you look at the Gospels, when you look at Jesus, Jesus affected really three things in people. Let this sink in. Hatred, terror, or adoration. Those three things. So go look at the Gospels. And I want to say this because I want to peel back the cover on all of the false, ridiculous stuff that's being taught out there today about Jesus and the Gospel and this very fake, superficial idea of love and, and what Jesus is all about. You just read the Gospels. Jesus either affected people one of three ways. He affected them as pure hatred. Boom. So much so want to kill him. Or terror. 
In other words, moving back, ah, ah, you know, and that for sure is the case in the demonic realm or adoration. I got to get close to that. I got to get close full. He's got the words of life and eternity, right? Now, here's what's important. Nowhere will you find in the gospel, nowhere will you find in the entire New Testament, whether it's a church or the beginning of Jesus' work, nowhere will you find people's response as mild approval. You'll find zero mild approval in the, in the New Testament. You'll find nowhere in there, oh yeah, Jesus is a pretty good dude. Yeah, move on about my business. Never. Never. And this is what Jesus is speaking to the church in Laodicea about. This is what I believe he's speaking to us about today. Right? Is we've opened this category somehow that you can respond to Jesus with just mild approval. Just kind of, yeah, church on my time or follow Jesus on my time. I'll take a little bit of the Bible that I like or whatever is it's not an option. Um, that's quickly trending towards lukewarmness and, and away from God and, and being dependent, right? Um, on ourself. And so just the final question for us, as I started thinking about this idea of Laodicea and just thinking in my own life, wow, Lord, where's my dependence? And think about this. And when you start thinking about this, the very source of my anxiety, the very source of my stress, the very source of my worry, and, and boy, I know we all can get into that so easy. The very source of all that is because I'm not depending on God. It just comes down to that. The very source of me worrying and fretting and anxiety about something, whatever it is, is it's because I'm not depending on him. It's because I haven't been moving and laying that, taking the work of laying that before him, that what I'm worried about. Lord, why am I letting my mind worry about this? I lay it before you. I trust you with that. You'll speak into my life what I need to know for that issue. I'm going to live free. I'm going to live free because you're my God. And what does he say? Seek first the kingdom of God. This is Matthew 6, And his righteousness, and he'll take care of all that. He'll take care of the clothes. He'll take care of the food on the plate. Seek first his kingdom, right? And that means a life that is radically dependent on God, seeing with eyes, spiritual eyes, what is going on. And he'll lead us right in all that. And fear, folks, another one is fear. And if we fear anything, and fear gets deep-seated. It moves from anxiety, worry, and, and, and the farther it keeps going, and, and fear is where it really logs in us. And, and that is because I'm not dependent. I've learned to lay it at his feet, right, and, 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 and live by faith, right, in him. So uh, when you think about the, this city and you think about the, the wonderful healing waters of Heropolis, the wonderful um, refreshing waters of Coloss, and then you think about the lukewarm, putrid water of, of, of Laodicea, I, I, I want to ask you very personally, what water are you offering to people? What water is Crossroads offering to Aspen? What water are you offering? And folks, I, I just know in my own life, the Lord, man, one thing's for sure is that when I'm around somebody, is that man, they don't want it, then I wouldn't want that putrid luke. Who wants luke? Who wants a cup of lukewarm water? You're the light of the world. You're to offer vibrant healing. You're to offer what? Life-giving refreshment. You're the salt of the earth. That's what it means. And what did Jesus say? Write down John 7, 37, 38. All right, on that great day of the Feast of Tabernacles, last day he stands up in all Jerusalem and says, anyone thirsty here? All right, thousands of people. Anybody thirsty? Anybody hungry? Come to me. Come to me. I will satisfy you. And then what does he promise? You will be a stream of living waters. 
Holy Spirit will come and overflow a stream of life-giving water. So what kind of water are we given? What kind of water are we given? And the people that are around us, what would they say? Man, when I'm around Steve, man, he just overflows with life. Man, I feel, I feel when I'm around him, I feel like I'm getting life. Or oh, when I'm around Steve, man, he's the downer. I, whew, I don't know, he's a kind of depressive or whatever, you know. Um, what kind of water is flowing out right to others? Jesus wants to come and just re-take that lukewarm water and make it life-giving, make it life-giving. So, um, hey, who's your counselor? Verses 18 and 19. Look at this. What does Jesus say? He says a profound thing. I counsel you to buy from me, Jesus says, gold refined by fire so that you, so that you may truly be rich, white garments so that you may be clothe yourself with, um, from the shame and clothe your nakedness. And he says, come and, and, and buy from me salve for your eyes that you may truly see. Wow, how do you buy something from Jesus? He's hitting this because Laodicea, like us, was consumed by a consumer culture that found its sustenance in being self-sufficient consumerism. I can buy what I need. Think about this. Everything of the Western world is built on this. I can buy what I need. You can buy what you need. Matter of fact, we can buy a lot of things we just don't need is the majority of our culture, right? But we think we need, or we're sold, we think we need those, right? And Jesus is coming, he's saying, buy from me. How do you buy something from Jesus? You ever think about that? I mean, you, go, you want a new shirt, you go out and just click on the internet or go to the store, you buy it with money. How do you buy something from Jesus? Yeah. How do you get Jesus to give you something? Yeah. You have not because you ask not. By faith. Faith moves mountains. Faith, which is personal trust. Jesus, I believe you got the best from me. You're going to give me what I, what I really need. Maybe not the Lamborghini, God. I've been asking you for a long time. But you'll give me, I know, what you really need. What I really need. Right? Um... And I don't care for a Lamborghini personally. I'd buy a big truck if I had my choice. But anyway. Um, so, yeah, thank you. Um, Jesus was a carpenter. He would have driven a big truck. So, I mean, let's just get down there. So, I digress quickly. So, um, who's your counselor? Who's your counselor? He says, I, I, he says, listen to my counsel, right? I counsel you, buy from me. Folks, we live in a very therapeutic age. Listen to me carefully, right? Counseling is awesome. Therapy is awesome if, if Jesus is the main counselor. If that counselor is not pointing you to dependence on him, the source of all life, it's not going to do much for you. Matter of fact, John 15 says it'll do nothing for you in the eternal scheme of things. Oh, but oh my gosh, look at the breakthrough. Oh, look at all the great things that happened because of this or that. I'm going to be very blunt. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. So what good is it I say if I get a little undepressed in my life, but I go to my deathbed without God? Right? What good is that? 
what good is it, is it to just get someone a little bit, you know, healed or whatever if, if tomorrow they die without God? Now, don't get me wrong. We don't keep from doing those things, but we do those things with, right? We counsel, we, we encourage, we, 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 we do all that. But boy, the target has to be and a dependence on, listen, I can give you some good counsel, but I need to point you to the one that has all the answers. I need you to point you to the one that, that you're dependent on that will give you life. I need to point you to the one that has all power to deliver you from anything you're dealing with at all. And any kind of counsel that is waffling on that, stay away. It will be temporary at best. Jesus needs to be the counselor if you want life. And therefore, you need to get counsel from somebody that understands that and that their counsel to you is just as dependent. They're showing you, look, I'm dependent on him. I'm going to pray to him that he's going to do amazing supernatural things in your life. Does that make sense, gang? I hope that makes sense. Um, don't, I'm not dishing counseling, but I want to just get us, I want to get us folks. What did Jesus say? Now, what does he mean to buy from him gold? How do we do that? How do we buy gold? We ask, right? What does he mean? Gold here, if you go to, Tim, or to Peter, and Peter says that the, more, the most precious things we have is our faith. It's like treasure. So what he's saying to a lot of sins, you want to get rocked out of this, this mild, this, this lukewarmness, is you need a jolt of faith. You need your faith awakened. You need to refine by fire this beautiful, more precious than gold thing of faith. And folks, this just gets back to, remember what, Paul, what uh, Jesus taught about our heart, right? Which is where my treasure is, is where my, that's where my heart is. What's your treasure? What's your treasure? For the Laodiceans, it's pretty clear what their treasure was, wasn't it? It's what they're wearing. It's what's in the bank, right? It's their, it's their technology, all their medicine, right? And how about that for dependence? When you get a health, when you get a bad news health issue, what's your first thing you do? That reveals quickly in my life who I'm dependent on. Technology, medicine, or the great physician? What's my first knee-jerk reaction? Do I go WebMD, Google, God? What do I do? Or is it, Lord, you're a great physician. I trust in you. Show me the steps to take here, right? Big, big difference there, right? Hey, folks, look at this. Buy for, this is just the gospel. Buy for me faith. Faith is a gift. God will give it. He will increase your faith. And that's what needed to happen was an increase of faith. What about the white garments? This is purity. This is forgiveness. This is the, the joy and freedom of knowing no matter where I've been because these Laodiceans, they just blend. What happens with a mild approval is to say, hey, you know, I can live just like the world. You know, when it comes to sexuality, I can go out and live just like the world and, ah, you know, no big deal. You got to maybe forgive me, whatever. No big deal. Well, Jesus says, no, you, you need to buy from me Purity. And no matter what you've done, no matter how stained your garments are from that world, if you just come to me, guess what? I'm going to robe you with the cloak of righteousness. I will forgive you. I'll cleanse you of whatever it is. I'll make you new. I'll set you free. Right? That's the glory of the gospel. And folks, how? Boy, this is something the church needs to get alive on, bold on, because people are, are putting their lives today in our culture like never before in incredible bondage, incredible darkness, they need the righteousness of God. It's a free gift. They need the grace of God. And that living water is what should flow out of us. Is come to Jesus, man, he'll wrap you up. He'll cleanse you. He'll set you free from the soul ties and the bondage and everything that goes with if you go the way of the world with your body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Man, that's good news, folks. 
that's healing, and that should be overflowing right from us. And then how about the eye? So what does he mean by that? He says, says, come to me and ask, I will give you fresh eyes. I'll give you spiritual eyes that will look at the world as God sees the world and looks at situations as God sees situations. I mean, bring this into your work when you got a problem, a solution. Lord, give me eyes. Give me your eyes. I need a solution. When you have a relationship problem, God, give me eyes. Let me see what's going on here. Lord, and everything going on in our world and country today, Lord, give me eyes. What are you doing? He will give. This is the whole book of Revelation. Revelation is that God will give you revealing an understanding of what he's doing. That's the point, right? To give you a prophetic voice, right? To speak what God is doing. And you can't have a healthy prophetic voice unless you have healthy eyes, right? To see what God is is doing, right? And uh, so folks, let Jesus, he needs to be our counselor. He needs to be our counselor. He has everything we need for life and godliness. It's all here, right? Final thing is how are we moving from mild approval to loving adoration, um, or are we? And uh, folks, look at this language. This is so beautiful. And just to close down with, he, he, he comes and he, and again, this is what's important, gang, is, is I think this is so important. He says, verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Remember Hebrews, a loving father disciplines his children. To not discipline is not love. And folks, what is our culture doing right now? Removing the rights of parents, right? And even parenting is this idea that, oh, I entitle rather than, that's, that's love. As I just, let them, I just let them find out life on their own. No, that's like giving them a grenade, pulling the pen and handing them a grenade. That's what that is. And folks, that permeates our culture today more and it's getting worse and worse on this issue. No, God loves, and when he loves, he disciplines and rebukes in a very strong and powerful rate. Read the entire Bible. Israel was the apple of his eye. He still loves Israel. What did he do to Israel? Discipline them, right? Whoa. And he's saying, and so he's saying this message to the church, not, um, uh, not saying that, hey, I'm going to bring the hard hammer on you. He's saying, look, repent, turn to me. Turn to me and you will... Be saved from the consequences of these crazy actions that you've done, right? But look at this. Um, it's amazing. Let me give you a couple of verses, though. Write down Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. Such be- Take some time just to read that. Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3. And this is where God says, come to me. Buy from me. Even if you don't have money, you can buy from me. Life. Sustenance. So beautiful. But look at this. Verse 20, famous passage. Behold, I stand at the door, I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and eat with him and he with me. Intimate fellowship. I'm knocking at the door, he says. He's talking to a lukewarm church or person. I'm on the outside. Now, folks, think about this. What this is saying is that the church of Laodicea, Jesus was on the outside of the church. He'd been moved out. And that means in a large portion of those believers in that church, Jesus had been moved out or sidelined in their heart. And when we don't want him, this is the context. And simply say, well, man, why didn't Jesus come crashing in the door? He doesn't come uninvited. And if I live without him, if I don't long for him, thirst for him, guess what? He goes where he's hungered for. And for a whole church, 
He will stay on the outside knocking. This is the beauty about his grace. He's knocking. He's not, he didn't leave. He's knocking. I want to come in, but you've moved me out, right? And all this, this moves towards communion, right? What did he do with the 12 around the table? And that's why we do communion is, is this beautiful experience together to remember what he's done and to say before we come to this table, Jesus, do not stay on the outside. Come in. I need you right here, and we need you here in this body. We, we are radically dependent on you, no matter religion or programs or anything in the church. We need your presence here, God. And we need your presence here. And before I come to that table, I'm affirming, God, I, I need you. I need you just like living on every word that comes out of his mouth, just like we take the bread, his body, and the, and the, the, the wine that's his blood, as we're saying, I, I can't live without you, Jesus. That's our affirmation. And so I just want to lead us into prayer before we come to the table. Come together as a family. Come and rejoice, but take some time. We're just going to take some time right now um, and just pray and let the Spirit of God right, speak to, to us. Oh. Father, thank you. God, Lord, forgive us for a mild approval. God, forgive us for a lack of zeal. God, forgive us for, for a lack of dependence on you in all the areas of our life. God, we, we thank you, Lord. You, your provision for us is staggering. Lord, I, I'm just so thankful, God, for so many. Make us a thankful people, Lord, never expecting or thinking we deserve anything, but rejoicing, being content with what we have from your hand, Lord, and to be good, faithful stewards with it, God. Lord, I love your word. It's a love story. Father, may everybody in here know that, that when they read that Bible, it's a love story. It's, a lo- it's the most radical love story. And why we love, story- love stories is because it's built into us. Gospel's built, it's universal, God. And Lord, the beauty of this book is you're taking us to the end of chapter 19, the end of the Bible, where it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Where we have this incredible party and festival where the bride, the church, meets the bridegroom. Lord, where we have this incredible feast where Jesus said you, to the disciples, you would not feast on this until again in the kingdom. God, may you reorient us that direction and may we just get a jolt of that as we come to communion, Lord. But Lord, I know there's barriers. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. If there are barriers in this body of you to move, Lord, expose them and remove them, God. Jesus, if you're still knocking on the outside, Lord, I pray you will expose the barrier, remove it from this house, God. And Lord, I pray that. Each of us as individuals can pray that same prayer, God. Lord, I'm... We all have barriers. and Lord, I just want to lay some of these down. Father, one of the big barriers is just sin itself, just unrepentant, just going the way of the world, desiring that, having a greater hunger for satisfying myself in the world than a hunger for you, God. Holy Spirit, come and bring conviction. Just cover that, God. 
Lord, may we not mess around with things that rob us of life. Set your people free, God, to holiness. Lord, uh, a lot of folks just, we just don't feel worthy sometimes. We just don't feel worthy to open the door. We don't feel worthy that that we can be at that table with you. God, the amazing thing is, Lord, this invite of, is for everyone. You don't have to be the apostles or the 12. It's to everyone who wants you. And Father, I pray you'll expose any lie right now of unworthiness. Any lie, God, just remove it, expose it. Lord, every person here and watching is worthy. Lord, and they know you by faith to come to that table to invite you in God Um, Father I think the biggest one though that we all are struggling with Lord it's just the noise remove the noise God Lord, we're so concerned about being tuned in and and hearing this, listening to that. Lord, it's so noisy, God. We don't have time to hear your voice. We don't give room to hear your voice. Spirit, move, God. Reorient our lives to have a greater passion and desire to hear your voice than, Lord, all all the screaming voices of social media and everything else, God. I want to hear you. Spirit, come show us how to make space for that. Yeah. Rest in you, God. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.